Let's pray. Father God, we love you so very much. God, I thank you from the depths of my heart for who you are. God, your word uh, for us so that you have a plan in place to save the world. God, and I pray that every person in this place would trust you with everything. God, that we trust you. God, that I would trust you with everything. God, that you have orchestrated out from the very beginning of Genesis, Lord, how to save mankind, how to bless us, how to redeem us, how to prepare a place for us, God. And you have ordered our steps, God. And so, Father, may there be nothing that I don't trust you with, nothing that I don't give wholeheartedly over to you, God, because I know that I know that I know, Father, you love us so very much. And so, Father, I pray today that people in this place, and whether they listen here or online, God, that they know that you love them, that you have a plan for their life, God, and we can trust you with our everything. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. Turn with me, if you will, to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Amen. Title of this morning's message is One Thing. That one thing. Part of our Faith and Duty series. We're going to be talking about the rich young ruler today. And you're going to find this passage in all three of the uh, synoptic gospels Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, but we'll kind of be in Mark today. You can be in Matthew 19 if you want. But uh, have you ever felt uh, insecure about going to heaven? I'm not going to talk about eternal security in the way that you might think today, but have you ever been insecure and uh, in whether or not you'd get there? All right? Uh, that's, you go through your life and you, um, you probably are going to have those questions. Even if you're a devout Christian, you sometimes are going to wonder, uh, God, I really hope this is true, right? <laughs> I really hope this is true. Are, are you really there? And, and what does it really mean to be a successful Christian? To be a Christian who does what they should do and succeed and get into heaven. What does it mean to be a successful Christian? And how many people, you think about in this world today, I've, I've seen videos of, they, they go uh, uh, out in the streets and they, go, they take a camera and they go and ask people about heaven. And so many of them believe that at the end of our lives, uh, God will add up all of our good things and God will add up all of our bad things. And if my good outweighs my bad, then I'll probably go to heaven, right? Don't you deserve that if that's the way it is? Uh, God's going to see my good works and my bad works, and I hope my, my good works outweigh my bad. But you know, in, in, the, in Scripture, Jesus repeatedly illustrates to us that even good guys won't make heaven. Even good guys won't make heaven. Even the good old boys and the good old girls, uh, they may not make it. <clears throat> so I'm going to ask you a question today. What would you be willing to give up if you knew your eternal soul was going to go to an eternal hell? What would you be willing to give up if you knew you weren't going to make heaven? I'm not talking about things just like movies or alcohol or, or you know, hobbies and things like that. But what about a job to be jobless? Would you be willing to give up that far? Or a car to be carless? Or a home to be homeless? Or a friend or friends to be friendless? Or even our family? Or even our personal ideas, our preconceived notions of what we think happiness uh, in this world looks like, or success, or, or even what we believe. What, what do I really trust Christ with? Think about it for a moment. What do you really trust Christ with? Is there something you would not trust Him 
with? Is there something, some place you would not be willing to go? Uh, because uh, those are the areas that we're going to talk about this morning, the areas that where we are holding on to some sense of self-reliance, some sense of self-control. And we're going to talk about the rich young ruler today, but I want us to realize that Christ's work alone saves us, but if we faithfully follow Him, if we faithfully follow Him with everything on this earth, that really means and that demonstrates that we totally trust Him with our eternity. So let me say it again. Christ's work alone saves us, but if we faithfully follow Him on this earth, give Him our everything on this earth, that shows, that demonstrates to Him and to us that we totally trust Him with our eternity. So how we follow Him on this earth reflects how much we trust Him with our eternity. So turn with me. Uh, here we are, the rich young ruler, verse 17 in Luke. Or sorry, in Mark. Uh, As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud Honor your mother. Now, Matthew 19, 19 will add here, You shall love the neighbor as yourself. Go back to Mark, verse 20. And he said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth up. And Matthew will add, What am I still lacking? Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, Again, matted from Matthew, If you want to be perfect, one thing you lack. Go and sell all that you possess and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven and come, take up the cross and follow me. Now, some of your versions may not have take up the cross. King James is the only translation that has that right there, but I'm going to insert it. Take up the cross and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened and he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Okay, where are we at? Jesus is on the road. He's on his way. He's getting close to the end of his uh, journeys here on earth. He's heading towards the cross. He's spoken several times about his death. I mean, he's seen, uh, the disciples have followed him and seen mighty things. He's really fighting against these Pharisees, these hypocrites who are trying to challenge him, and, and really they're seeking to kill him about right now. And this guy comes, this rich young ruler, and he comes and he kneels at Jesus' feet in the middle of the street now, and he says, What do I have to do to make heaven? What must I do to inherit eternal life? What is going on? Am I going to make it? Uh, You know, we had an outreach one time in in Chi Alpha Campus Ministries that we put a booth in the middle of the student union, and it said, uh, ask a question. And on the title of the, the booth said, will you make heaven? Find out. That brought up some conversation starters that people began to go to that booth. You want to know whether or not you're going to make heaven. This is what this guy is saying. He's like, will I make heaven? Wouldn't you like to know that for sure? Right? I'd like to know that for sure. You know, hey, God, uh, am I going to make it? What do I got to do to make it? Isn't isn't that the most important question really today? This place is, is, we know the world's falling apart. We know that this is a temporary place. So one of the most important questions we should ask ourselves is, will I make eternity? Because that's all that really matters, right? That really, at the end of the day, that's all that really matters is will I, and hopefully my wife and my, my daughter, my family, will we make it? Will I make it? How secure are you in your eternity? Now, this guy had some of what of the lifestyle of the rich and famous here. Uh, he was a young and wealthy man. 
His young ruler probably worked in the court system somehow, and he was an up-and-coming guy. I'm going to paint you a picture of this young man. Uh, he was a man, though. He was young, so that means that he, and he was young and successful. So he was on a fast track, right? Everybody really looked up to this guy. Uh, we know that he was a man of good moral standards and uh, a good character. A lot of people liked him. I mean, he had a great reputation. Uh, he was a good old boy, just a great guy. He's the guy that you wanted your daughters to marry, dads. He, there's nothing you could, bad you could say about him. And then he was earning a lot of money. And he wasn't just bad with it. He didn't squander it or, or do anything. He actually uh, invested in it in local properties, And maybe he even had a good heart. Maybe he was using it to turn the neighborhoods around. We don't know. But we know that this man, he was on the high class, that even the disciples admired him, and even the whole town uh, really did admire this young guy. And he's the guy that you... Watch this guy. He's going somewhere in life. That's the kind of guy this was. And he was at synagogue every week. He had good parents. He never drank, smoked, had sex before marriage. He didn't go to the bars. He didn't look at porn online. I mean, he was a really good guy. And so he comes, and he is willing in this place, in his, in his morality, this really great guy, there, there was something still stirring within him, though. He, if you would put it in modern sense, he'd gone to church every Sunday, went to Sunday school, JBQ, youth ministry, was an intern with the church, even helped the pastor clean out the gutter sometimes. And this is the kid that, I was like, man, that's a good kid. He's a star quarterback. He's going somewhere. He's really good. He's never mouthed off to his parents ever. Right, right? No, no, we don't know any kids like that, right? Uh, and so, uh, but something's not right. Something's stirring. And he's asking himself, am I good enough? Am I really good enough? Am I going to make it? Am I really going to make it? And so he's stealing with the Holy Spirit is moving on him. He's not secure in his eternity. Is there more to life? What really happens to me when I die? Will I make heaven? Am I good enough? All these things are going. He can't sleep at night. And so he hears Jesus is coming. The Holy Spirit's stirring in him. And maybe he's stirring with you today. Maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you these same questions. Are you secure? Are you going to make it? In the same way, he is so stirred that when he heard Jesus coming, coming by, he was willing to run in the middle of the street, leave his status, his pride, his, his position, even though he was a reputable young man. He went and he knelt in the middle of the street at Jesus' feet. That's humility, right? That's humility. That's, that's a place to go. Is that a, is, was that a sign of repentance? Was that a sign that he needed Jesus? And he says something else. He says, uh, good teacher. Good teacher. You know, one thing before we get forward is, before we kneel at Jesus' feet, we have to understand, is there anything in my life that I have a preconceived idea, a preconceived notion about what I think about myself and what I think about Jesus and what I think about the Word of God. Because he comes and he kneels at his feet and he says, Good teacher. And what does Jesus say? Look there with me. He says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. I'm going to pull something out here for us this morning. Only God is good. What was Jesus saying? He was not saying that he's not God. We know Jesus is God. But he wanted this man to understand something. He's kneeling at his feet. He comes, he says, good teacher. And the rabbis, they only ever use that word for a divine person, God. God, only God was good. And so by him saying, good teacher, he noticed something in Jesus. He's almost making a profession. He's kneeled at his feet. He's making a profession. But you know what Jesus says? He says, why do you call me good? Why do you really call me good? Jesus wanted him to really understand something. 
Are you sure you're ready to call me God? Are you really sure you're ready to call Jesus God? Because something happens when you do that. There's something there that Jesus wanted him to say, are you sure you, you, sure you really believe who I am? You've, you, you're leaving your status. You're humbling yourself at my feet. You're calling me divine. Are you really sure? Because only God is good. And by you saying this, you're saying that I'm God. And look what happens. Let's look down here a little bit. What happens when you make a profession of faith in Jesus Christ? What happens when you call Jesus God? Number one, you have to accept the responsibility that follows that profession. You have no longer any excuse for not following Jesus Christ when you say, Jesus, I know you're God. You have no longer any excuse not to follow or obey or listen to the words in red. When you say Jesus is God, that means that every word that comes out of His mouth is the Word of God. That means that He is who He says He is, that He's going to do what He said He's going to do, and that when He says, come follow me, you're saying no or yes to a God who says, come follow me. When, when God speaks, then we have to listen. And so when I say, Jesus Christ, I believe you are the Son of God, you are God, and you're coming back for me, I believe in who you are, that means that I come under that knowledge of responsibility, that, that responsibility to say, I accept what comes with saying that Jesus is God. I can't just cater by any longer. I can't just slide by. I have the awesome responsibility that I have professed Him. Say, you are what you say you are. And what you say is true. Number two, it says that I have to see myself in the context of a holy God. That when I see a Jesus or, and I see God, I see myself in comparison and I know who I am in the context to a holy God. Let's talk about that. He goes on, he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He talks about good works. Okay, so here he is. He's humbled himself at his feet. He says, good teacher. And Jesus says, are you sure? Are you really sure that's what you want to do? Have you ever had that? You ever go down to the altar and all of a sudden God says, are you really sure you're supposed to be down here? You know, I mean, how many people? No, I'm not going to raise your hand. Right? Are you really sure you want to do this? Because there's going to be some consequences. There's going to be some follow-up here. And he says, well, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He's not sure about his eternal security. He's kneeling at Jesus' feet, but he doesn't find himself as a condemned sinner before a holy God. This is very important. Jesus wanted him to see something. He says, only God is good. There is no goodness in anything human at all. That's called humanism. There's no goodness in anything that we can do. He says, what shall I do? What shall I do? There's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. Jesus wanted him to see something. So what does he do? He points him to the Word. Look in verse uh, 18 and 19 and 20. He says, okay, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, are you sure you want to do this? Because I'm about to tell you something. So he says, do you know the Bible? Do you know the great commandments, the Ten Commandments? You know, and the, the, the idea is, that on, uh, this is just a theory. We don't know this for sure. But on one set of the Ten Commandments was four commandments. Uh, about honoring God and loving God. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, right? Uh, and then on the other one was six. This is the theory. But it was about loving your neighbor. And that's what Jesus referenced. He references all of the verses about loving other people. Uh, don't steal. Don't murder. Don't commit. Don't false witness. Don't defraud. Honor your mother. And he sums it up in Matthew 19. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So he lists half of the law. And he says, what does he say? But instead of seeing his failures, he says, yes, I've obeyed all of these things. 
This man comes, he kneels at his feet, he professes him as God, a good divine teacher, and he says, I've done everything. How many people have ever fulfilled all Ten Commandments? I'm going to guarantee that almost all of us, if not all of us, unless you're a baby, have broken almost all of them, if not all of them. Because what does Jesus teach us? He says that to hate is to murder. To lust is to commit adultery. And he looks at this, he says, I've done them all. I've, I, I've, I've been perfect in all these things. Jesus wanted him to realize something. That when you come to the feet of God and you humble yourself, you better be ready to profess something. That I am a sinner. I cannot be good enough on my own. I can't do anything without Him. And yes, God, I have broken all of them. There's not one I haven't broken. I've broken all of them. He wanted him to see something. That you need to see yourself in a mirrored reflection of God and say, God, I don't compare to you. God, I don't have anything to offer you. But he didn't see his failures. How many people come to Jesus' feet? They'll come to an altar, but they've really failed to see their sin in light of a holy God. They really fail to see the consequences of what one sin can do that turns us to an eternal hell, that one sin separates us from God, that we can see the gravity of sin itself and how serious a deal it is and why God hates sin so much because it separates us from Him. And so it's really a heart issue. You know, the Jews believe that... Uh, you could earn your salvation by works. And this guy, he was blameless on the outside, but he didn't see he was unholy on the inside. You know, we can obey all the rules outwardly and still miss the heart of the matter. No one alone could fulfill the law. It was impossible. Jesus wanted to see if he knew the impossibility of his situation. You know what? When death comes at you, how many of you have the strength to tell it, no, I'm not ready yet? When hell would come at your gates and say, you're going to be mine, who in the world could say, no, I'm not going? We have an impossible situation, church. We have, we, we have caught ourselves up in an impossible situation that when sin became master over us, we were debilitated. We have no power when the devil claimed authority over us. We were lost and undone without a hope in the world. And you have to understand that. To really know what Jesus is doing for us today. You have to understand, like this morning when we sing, How Great Is Our God, it should move us. Because we could see, God, I was hopeless before. God, I had no chance in the world of making it on my own. I'm not ever going to be good enough. And he, there, was, there was something there, this heart issue he did not see. And uh, Galatians chapter 3, 24 uh, tells us that the purpose of the law was to bring sinners to Christ, to show us that we needed a Savior. And how many today in the world think that they're holy because of their outward goodness, but yet inside we're all the same condemned sinner before a holy God? It was kind of like this. It would kind of be like if the doctor, you went to the doctor, and he told you, hey, you've got uh, heart disease, and you need to have surgery like tomorrow. Really, you needed it yesterday, but we need to get you in here real quick. And so he says, you've got a heart disease. You've got an internal problem. You need to fix it now, and only I can do it. You can't do it yourself. And so what do we do? We go home, we drink the protein shakes, we do some pull-ups and some sit-ups, and we stop, giving, we stop drinking milkshakes. We think, all right, God, I got this. That's the same thing. That's the same thing that religion tells us to do. Yeah, those doing push-ups and sit-ups and giving up sweets, that might be a good thing. But that's not going to change the fact that you need heart surgery. It's not going to fix what's already been broken. It's already been done. There's something that we cannot do on our own. And so there's a heart issue. 
A few religious works cannot undo my heart disease. It's that sinful attitude inside of me that exalts my flesh above a holy God. I don't care how good we are. This man was perfect in every sense of the word that the world would see. But there was a heavenly perfection he had not yet attained. Look at me. Uh, go down a verse. Jesus says this. He says, If you want to be perfect, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. You know, God was dealing with this guy's heart. He was meeting the status quo. And that's not interesting part about it, all this. He was doing everything he's supposed to do. You can come to church. You can pay your tithes. You can raise your hands in worship. You can do a little jig in the front. But there still can be a heart issue. There still can be a heart issue. And God was dealing with this young man. And Jesus says there is one essential thing. There's one thing you're lacking that keeps you from heavenly perfection. There's one thing you're lacking. What was it? Sell all you possess, give to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. You know, some people really take this verse and we want to talk about finances. And I'm not going to do that this morning because I don't believe that's what it really means. That one thing was that one man's one thing. Each one of us have one thing. Each one of us have something that God is calling us to give up. And it's called self-reliance. Self-reliance. It's called self-reliance. And Jesus is basically saying to this man, there's one thing you miss in your life, and it's a failure to truly trust God with everything you've got. It's a failure, failure to have a radical abandonment to follow me. And essentially he's saying, the only thing you can do is trust that I am enough. Do I trust that Jesus Christ is enough? Is He enough? Is He all I need? I don't care what you go through in your life, where you are, your finances, your, your relationships, your physical ability. Is Jesus Christ enough? Completely enough. I'm not talking about just, yes, Jesus, I need you, but I need this situation to work out. Yes, Jesus, I need you, but I need a little bit more of this. Yes, Jesus, I need you, but I really got to get through this right now, and then I'll do everything you call. No, is he enough? I mean, every ounce of all that we need. Yes, God, I, I love you, but I, I'm so glad that I have my spouse. Yes, that's great, have a spouse. Or, yes, Lord, I love you, but I really love my kids. Yes, that's great. But is Jesus Christ, at the end of your life, will he have been enough for every circumstance, every trial, every addiction, every, every purpose, every need, every want? Is he enough? Completely enough. And he says, one thing you lack, you've got to trust that I am enough. I'm enough. In the sense he's saying, I love you. Trust me. How many people is God really telling that to today? I love you. Won't you just trust me? I love you. That wayward son or daughter, I love you. Just trust me. That young man, that young woman, that grandma, that grandpa, I love you. Just trust me. I am enough for you. I'm enough for you. And he looks at this man, and the Bible says that he loved him. He looked at him, and he loved him. And he wanted to tell him something. He wanted to tell him, son, I'm enough. I'm enough for everything you ever need. Just take up the cross and follow me. You know, salvation is a gift from God. He's enough. You gotta, we have to realize, church, today that I'm not good enough, and only God is good. 
and I can have everything, and I can do it all right. I can be perfect in everything, every sense of the word, but yet I can still lack one thing, that I trust Jesus to be enough. I can get that scholarship on football. I can win the lottery. I can get that car. I can get that, that perfect spouse, those perfect kids. I can have that perfect retirement package, and yet Jesus Christ, is he enough? Is he enough? Have we given up self-reliance and trust that Christ's work is all that I need? Have I been living maybe a status quo Christian life? And am I really ready to trust God with everything? And do I trust God, Christ Jesus, enough to give up everything to follow him? Because you know why? That's saving faith. This man was called to give up what he trusted in more than God. My, little, my story this probably of all the Bible characters I truly align myself with would be this young man, is that uh, I was raised in Assemblies of God home, great foundation. My grandma prayed over me when she babysat me when I was little, sung all the prayers, prayed all the prayers, uh, went to Sunday school. My mom and dad were deacons and role ranger and missionette commanders, worship leaders, youth pastors. Uh, my whole life, I didn't have a choice to go to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, every prayer meeting, every revival service, every youth rally, I was at. And there was a fear of God in my life, my whole life. And uh, I'm proud to say that throughout my uh, younger years, you know, I never cussed, I never drank, I never smoked, I never did drugs, never had sex before marriage, never got addicted to pornography. I did everything that on the outside, every single person would say, that's a good kid. I made straight A's, never made a B until college. I mean, I was striving for perfection. And in uh, one class, my nickname was Mr. Perfect. And I liked that. <laughs> my wife didn't think so when we got married, but uh, I dated the, the girl that I am married to today is my high school sweetheart. We've known each other since we were 16, never dated, never, never broke up, never dated anybody else, never kissed another girl in my life but my wife. There's a lot of things I could pride myself in, but there was a moment in my life when I got alone with God at an altar and I realized that who I am in face of a holy God is nothing. Is nothing. I could tell you I've put away things from my life. It doesn't matter. It's nothing. Because when I see my heart, I see I've got the same lust. I've got the same pride. I've got the same arrogance. I've fought with unforgiveness. I've fought with pain, addiction, all kinds of things in my heart. Whether or not you or someone else saw it on the outside, it's been there on the inside my entire life. I've got a heart disease. It's called sin. And in the face of a holy God, I am broken, ashamed, I am undone. I have nothing to offer God. It's not about all that other stuff. I needed a Savior who'd be enough for me. And it's that place that God had to take me to in my life, to a place of utter abandonment and brokenment, uh, brokenness. And in, in that season of my life, it went for a couple of years where I, tried to realize, I had to realize how horrible of a person I really am before I realized how good of a God He really is. It's kind of odd to think of it that way. And there came a moment in my life where I said, God, I, I don't have it all. I don't know what's best for my life. I said, God, you can have my past, you can have my present, you can have my future. That's when God called me into ministry. Because I had to realize, I am not enough. There's nothing I can do to be enough. And this young man got to that place with God, but he did not recognize the price tag of trust. 
Jesus paid that price for heaven, so why did this guy have to give up his wealth? You think, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Why do I have to give up those things? Why, why was it this guy had to give up wealth? What was it about this? It's like I said this morning, because a failure to fully follow Christ on this earth is a failure to t- totally trust him for heaven. It's a faithlessness that this man had was going on in his heart. He had an unwillingness to trust Christ with his earthly security, so how could he trust Christ with his eternal security? If I can't trust Christ now, how can I trust Him for then? If I can't give all to follow Him now, how can I even trust Him that He's going to save me later? Think about it. That is so much greater. Heaven, eternity, forever. And so if I can't trust God with my earthly treasures here, how can I trust Him with heavenly treasures there? If I can't trust Him with a roof over my head here, how do I trust Him with a roof over my head there? And so He's trying to illustrate church we got to start seeing with eternity in mind. This young man did not trust him with earthly things. And so he looks at him and he looks around and says to his disciples, verse 23, catch up with me there. Jesus looks around and he says to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words because in the New Testament times, if you were wealthy, that means God blessed you. And so, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were even more astonished and said to him, Who in the world can be saved? Looking at them, he said, With people it's impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What rivals our allegiance to God today? What am I truly devoted to? Think about it this way. What takes my time from God? What take in a week... What takes my time away from spending time with God? Or in a month, what takes away my money from giving it all to God? And what takes away my hobbies, my talents, my, my, my abilities, my gifts? What takes those away from God? And if you could ask yourself those things, you could say, those things then are your idols. Those things then are the little G, the little gods, the things that... Take us away from the one who is enough in our life. And those things, he's saying, what rivals you? This man had trusted in riches, one version said. He trusted in it. It's not about the riches. It was that he trusted in it. What do I trust in with my time, my talent, my treasure more than God? What do I put my faith into more than God? And this guy is a stand-up guy, but money was secretly his God. And God, Jesus reveals to him that even in all of his rightness, in this moment, he realizes, I've broken even the first commandment. Do not have other gods before me. What have I put before God? Is there anything that I trust in more than him? Have I given up that self-reliance? Maybe it's that busyness. Maybe it's that desire for success or independence. Maybe it is those hobbies. Or perhaps it's our excuses. That's a good one for me. Sometimes my excuses become a God, that I put those excuses ahead of God. I love what, I don't quote the message version, I like to think it's a paraphrase, but myself, but the message, I like what he said about this one. He says that this man, he was holding on tight to a lot of things, and he wasn't about to let go. How difficult it is for people who have it all to enter into God's kingdom. You've got no chance if you think you can pull it off by yourself, but every chance if you let God do it. There are things in this life that we hold on to, and there are too many to list or to label, but there's that one thing 
that you are holding on to probably more than God or that we struggle with holding on to more than God. And he says, you've got no chance to make it on your own. You've got to let God do it. And if how difficult it is for people who have it all. Of all the countries in the world, there are more people that have it all in the United States than any, anywhere else. A lot of our children have it all. How hard it is for people who have it all to go to heaven. That's what he's saying. Why? It's not about what you really have. It's what you're holding on to. Is God enough? Is God enough in your life? And he gives this camel illustration just to say a camel obviously can't fit through a needle, but it's impossible to go to heaven on our own. It's only possible in Jesus Christ. You can humble yourself at Jesus' feet, but if I'm not willing to give up that one thing that I place ahead of my obedience to Him, I'm not going to be worthy of heaven. I can humble myself at Jesus' feet. I can say, yes, Jesus, you're divine, you're good. But if I don't recognize that, God, I'm not good, I can't do it on my own, and there's nothing I'm holding on to, I give myself away. And he says, take up the cross and follow me. Take up the cross and follow me. Why? Because I trust him. I trust him. I trust him. Enough to demonstrate that my life I can reorder it to kingdom values because I truly trust Him more than anything else. I truly trust Him more than just an outward devotion. I truly trust Him with everything. You know, when I truly trust Him, I can be fruitful for Him. Because He goes on and He says in uh, Mark 10, 29, He says, There's no one who's left house nor home or sisters, brothers, fathers, mothers, children's farms for my sake in the Gospels. They'll receive a hundred times more, and even in this present age and in the age to come, even with persecutions, uh, they'll get to eternal life. The first will be last and last first. He's saying, you know, I can really serve God when I trust Him. I can go through persecution because I trust Him. Why? Because I know He's got my eternal rewards secured. And I can labor, I can sacrifice, I can serve, I can have blood, sweat, and tears, I can go through trials and and labors and things, all kinds of things. People could stab me in the back and run me over, but I have labored in faith knowing that my reward is in heaven. And that's this confidence that he's telling his disciples about. He's saying, hey, when you really trust me, you can be fruitful. When you really trust me and you know that I am enough for everything that you ever need, you can go through anything because you know, you know that you know that you know I have the very best in mind for you. I have your reward secured. I've got your eternal life locked down, lock and key. The devil can't hold you any longer. The grave can't keep you any longer. There's no, nor nor death, nor life, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things to come or in the past can separate you from me because I'm enough for you. So I can be fruitful because I trust my God. I can give it all away because I trust him. I can give up that past, that present, and that future. I can give up that job, that career, that relationship, that money, because I trust Him with eternity. Worship team, would you come back? Will I make heaven? Mark chapter 8, 34 says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, his own goodness, take up his cross and follow me, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. What does it profit you to gain the whole world and forfeit your soul? For what could you ever give in exchange for your soul? 
Three things we realize this morning. Number one, I realize that only God is good and salvation is impossible without faith in Christ. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody moving around. Do you realize today, number one, that only God is good and that your salvation is impossible without a faith in Jesus Christ, God, and the flesh? You can't do enough works. And just like this man, it's really not about sacrifice. You can't even sacrifice enough to make heaven. It wasn't the sacrifice of his money that was going to save his soul. It was his faith in God. Do you see your sin before a holy God today? And have you humbled yourself at his feet? Number two, have you taken up your cross? Followed him in faithful obedience on this journey of Christian life. It's a journey to give up self-reliance. It's a journey to give it up, give it all away. You know, our sacrifice that won't earn us that merit, but it will demonstrate our faith to trust Him. And do you trust Him today that Jesus is enough to fully follow Him? Have you laid everything down? And is there anything left you're holding on to? And three, you can be fruitful today because He is faithful. You can have eternal promise, that eternal hope, that security in Jesus Christ. And how do you know you're saved today? You're going to feel that weight of sin leave, and you're going to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ where you know Him personally. And then you can begun, begin the journey to be fruitful because He is faithful. Your great reward is not going to be in heavenly treasures of gold and silver, but in your, your character, your godliness, your holiness that comes from Jesus Christ alone and the promise that His blood has saved you from all sin. And that Holy Spirit is now living within you. If you're here today, every head bowed, every eye closed, you say, Pastor Heath, I do not have that security in my eternity. If I die today, I know there has been things I've been holding on to. I've been putting ahead of God. And maybe you've bowed your knee to Him. And maybe you've even called Him God. But you haven't really taken that responsibility to really, really follow Him fully. And you, you've been putting other things in place of God in your life. And you've been looking to other things for satisfaction or, or direction. Or you've been looking to other things for comfort. But you say, I'm ready for Jesus to be enough. 